Living Wisely, Living Well, March 1st. View life as a mountain to be climbed. Each upward step, a move closer to the top and to perfection. Welcome any difficulties you encounter on the way. Each time you face a test bravely, your strength will increase. Concentrate on what is required of you at each step of the way for you to reach the summit. There's a documentary movie. I'm going to say it's called Meru, but I'm not really sure exactly which movie it is. I have... Uh, I am so far from being a mountain climber. Um, uh, It's just not part of who I am on any level. And yet I've always been fascinated by stories of heroism. And I've also been fascinated by people who set really gigantic goals for themselves and then have the willpower and the courage to follow through on them. I used to read multitudes of stories like this. I'm a recreational reader. It's, uh, I joke about it, it's my drug of choice, is reading. Um, but uh, I, So I've read a lot of mountaineering books. Um, I actually, movies about it are less, are less interesting to me because um, they tend to focus on the wind blowing and everybody screaming and the, ro- the rope snapping and that sort of thing. And I don't enjoy being frightened. Um, and I don't enjoy frightening images. But when you read about it and you're, you're hearing sort of the thoughts of the people who go through it and how they dealt with it and what it brought out of them and what it takes for them to succeed or to recognize that success is not possible and to be gracious in failure. All of these things are true. But going back to this documentary movie I did see, which I believe was that, but it could have been called something else, it was, it was just documentary footage of these people climbing and, and you know, under conditions that a person such as myself just can't even think about, where they're halfway up the mountain and they just tack their hammock tents into the wall and they're thousands of feet in the air and they're just hanging from these rock surfaces and you know just all of like this. But somewhere in the context of all of that, somebody was interviewed and it's like, why do you do this? And the reason they do it is because the experience of being absolutely focused without any distractions is so exhilarating. And when you're in a situation like that, really, there's nothing to think about. You can't think about your mortgage, you can't think about you know, your relationships, you can't worry about your children, you can't think about your money. It's like, if you're, if, unless you're going to die, you have, unless you want to die, you have to concentrate on where is my hands, where are my hands, where are my feet, and where am I going to put them next? Now, the reason it's so exhilarating for people to do that is because that is the state of being that we're all seeking. That is that point of absolute concentration and that ability to put everything aside and live totally in the now is the same state of consciousness that the devotee is striving for, but the focus we're trying to make the focus the awareness of God's presence, which I, I suspect if you're hanging on thousands of feet in the air on the mountainside, you might also be thinking a little about God. I don't know whether they are or not, but it could bring God to your mind because everything is on the line at that moment. You know, it's just you're, you're way beyond yourself. And a lot of mountaineers actually do have very deep spiritual experiences, which is why they keep going back. Because once they become that concentrated, <clears throat> 
it's not merely that you've pushed aside other preoccupations, it's that you've elevated yourself into such a one-pointed reality that reality itself expands in a very, in, in a very, very different way. So all of that is one of the reasons that Swamiji uses this image when he's trying to talk to us not about risking our lives, but about living wisely and living well. That the image of, of, of climbing a mountain is just so um, un, unmistakably clear. I'm standing, wherever I'm standing on the mountain, I look up, and up is what we do when we meditate. The, the position of the eyes um, dictates uh, our, st- our state of consciousness, or the, our state of consciousness is reflected by the position of the eyes. When we're just concentrated on the present moment, we're looking forward. Um, I, as a public speaker, who before um, 2020, when this is being recorded, used to speak to people in, in person, but I've spent many years of my life speaking to rooms full of people. As a public speaker, I am in the rare position of having watched adults fall asleep more often than the average person gets to do. And so... In yoga, they say that as you sink into subconsciousness, your eyes drop. And I've actually, I can attest to that because I've watched people fall asleep when I'm talking. After long, I'll just say, after long, hard days of work. But nonetheless, their eyes fall asleep, their eyes drop down, and they begin to nod off. Those of us who practice meditation, um, we, we've all experienced, you know, that, that suddenly the pranayam turns into a snore. And Always, if our mind has wandered or if we have fallen into a, a semi-conscious state, <coughs> if you stop and check, your eyes have always dropped. If you bring them to the a, a focus straight out, then you come into consciousness. And when your consciousness is elevated, your eyes go up. The spiritual eye is the point between the eyebrows and your eyes are drawn up, not cross-eyed inside your forehead, but as if you're standing and there's the horizon line, the sun is just above the horizon line, and you're looking out at the sun. You're looking outward in an expansive way, but the eyes go up. And one of the tricks for bringing your attention back to focus when you're meditating is if you've lost your focus, look where your eyes are. Because invariably, your eyes will either be level or down. And if you raise them up again and with closed eyes, imagine the sun rising above the horizon in front of you. It will bring your concentration back to where it needs to be. So this is why, for many reasons, there is an instinctive relationship between the idea of climbing and the idea of elevating ourselves spiritually. Because we look, I lift my eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. That's the psalm of one of David's psalms. From whence cometh my help to the hills, I lift my eyes. It's an esoteric reference for those who know he wasn't really just getting his energy from the mountaintop. He was getting it from lifting his eyes and then feeling the inner consciousness that comes from that. So when we think about climbing a summit, we have, we have automatically our focus is elevated. So that alone really helps us. When we think about climbing a summit also, if, unless it's just an easy stroll up a, up a grassy meadow, we recognize that we will cross over many different kinds of terrain, and that sometimes in order to go up, we have to go down first. You have to cross a ravine. You might even have to ford a crevasse. You might have to 
cross over a lower peak before you get to the final peak. Um, rarely can you climb in a straight line. Sometimes the quickest way to the top is quite circuitous. You know, sometimes you're, you're, you don't even know where the summit is, but you have faith that the trail you're on is going to lead you there. And speaking of my, uh, what I learned from the mountaineers, you know, through the movie or whatever I was watching, there, you, you, you're only thinking about where my foot is now and where I'm going to put it next. Because a great deal of, of energy in life is, is it's, not, it's not even wasted, it's totally dissipated. Because we're only thinking about what's going to happen after we get to the top. And we, we're not paying any attention to where my foot is now and where I need to put it next. We're just sort of somehow hoping that by just thinking a lot about the end of this journey, that the journey will take care of itself, which it won't. And even if it would, you won't be who you want to be when you get there because you'll have done nothing but sleep through all the interim stages. And the real fulfillment that we're seeking is not to move this body from one location to another. It's to shift our consciousness from limitation to freedom. And, and paying attention to your next step and, and concentrating success or failure as my response to the obstacles as they arise. And therefore, nothing is unimportant and nothing is served by not engaging. I have seen this acted out in an even more concerning way. Sometimes it happens by psychic intervention um, that turns out not to be entirely helpful or by, I should say, by misuse, misinterpretation by people or by intuitions or dreams that come that may in themselves be valid but are not properly utilized. And this is what I mean. And this is very common. Someone will come to me and say, my astrologer, um, an astrologer, a psychic, uh, a dream, an intuition I had. I, I'm a healer. Healer is usually the one. I'm a healer. I'm here to teach. My purpose is to share my wisdom with others. And it's not even necessarily presented in an egoic manner. But it's presented as if I'm sitting here and now I'm, now I'm going to be a healer. And I, I'll use the word heal, the healing one as an example. So I say, oh, that's wonderful because it's wonderful. Let's, you know, let's use our talents and be as positively beneficial as we can possibly be. And why not have, why not have beautiful ambitions to serve others? That's, that's very commendable. What kind of healing are you interested in? You know, do you, see, do you see yourself as a counselor, as a psychological counselor? Do you see yourself as a masseuse? Do you see, see yourself as an energy worker? You know, do you have expanded vision? Can you see auras? You know, just like, what, what do you have? Oh, I just want to be a healer. Well, what are you studying? How are you preparing yourself? What is your personal sadhana? In other words, where are your feet? And where, where would you put your foot next? Because you're not going to get to the mountaintop just by announcing, oh, I had a dream that I'm supposed to be on the top of the mountain. That's an instruction for what to do with your feet. Do you understand what I mean? And so oftentimes 
we get confused. Yes, of course, it's wonderful to have a big vision. It's wonderful, and there's all these people will teach you all these different ways to clarify your vision and manifest it and so on, but you still have to take a step. And we can't, we can't imagine that no effort is required. That's one of the great, um, uh, the great weaknesses that has been communicated to what one of my millennial friends, it was her phrase, not mine, called the trophy generation. She described herself as being part of the trophy generation where you, you got an award just for showing up. And she talked about how, fortunately, she said in her life it didn't affect her this way because of her parents. But she saw how it has affected a lot of her peers. That they're, they're just thinking that they just show up and then they'll be magically transformed to the top of the mountain. So one of the, the most fundamentally useful things that you need to understand is that results come in relationship to how much energy you put out. That it's, it's the energy you put out that brings the result. Now, if you are so powerful that your mind is so powerful that all you have to do is visualize and you can manifest, then I bow to you. But most of us, there's a lot of intervening relationship to the material world. I was very touched in this context when a, a, a devotee at Ananda, a very deep and beautiful devotee, um, was diagnosed with very advanced cancer. And like many yogis, she had a a belief in more subtle forms of healing than the allopathic medicine, especially when you get involved in advanced cancer, the allopathic approach is pretty intense. You know, the, the chemotherapy, the radiation, all the things that they do, which will push the cancer back and extend your life, or often does. There's often a cost, but nonetheless, people died much younger and much more quickly of these things without that intervention. So I'm going to see the very positive side of it. God is in everything. But she had a disinclination that way, and so she was thinking about healing herself through more, more what you might call alternative or natural means. And Swamiji, of course, totally understands this, that all the subtle potentials of healing. He himself participated in allopathic medicine, but he also completely endorsed and understood more subtle forms. So she says, I'm thinking I'm not going to take the allopathic treatment. I'm going to heal myself through spiritual methods and through natural means. And so I just looked at her, just looked her in the eye, and he said, do you have the concentration and the discipline actually to do that? He just let the question sit, and she looked at him for, you know, a period of time and thought about it. She said, no. <laughs> it was just as simple as that. It was a beautiful theory. But she knew she didn't have that kind of power. So she had to think, she had to bring her gaze back closer to where she was standing. She took very aggressive treatments and actually lived for seven years, which was approximately seven times longer than anyone thought she would. And those seven years were exceedingly important in her life. Where are my feet and what is realistic? And Swami's image of the mountaintop is the perfect way to think about it. So he says, View life as a mountain to be climbed each upward step, a move closer to the top and to perfection. Welcome any difficulties you encounter on the way. Each time you face a test bravely, your strength will increase. Concentrate on what is required of you at each step of the way for you to reach the summit. God bless you, my friends.